Hi, and welcome to Rescuing Churches. If you love pastoral life, ministry, and church revitalization, this is a great place to join the discussion about why the local church matters, how we can help the ones that are in decline, and be an encouragement to their pastors along the way. We'll even get to hear stories from special guests about what God is doing in the church at large. This show is hosted by two guys who serve the local church and is for everyone within the local church. Thanks for tuning in today. Let's go. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rescuing Churches, where it's always a great adventure discussing church revitalization and pastoral life. Learn more at 614ministries.org. Great website. Great website. I'm Designed your, by a great web designer. I'm your host, Josh, and that is my dad, Stan. Hey. And silent partner, Mike, is here, and he is still manning the knobs at Mission Control. And dad, today we're going to work on church conflict resolution, eight keys to lowering the trauma impact of conflict in your church. That's right. Coming out of a passage that is in Nehemiah, and you taught first as a sermon um, at Northside, and then kind of morphed, more full times at the rehab campuses I serve, right? And then kind of morphed it into something for our Shepherd Summit conference that we did, mm-hmm. and now we're going to apply it to our podcast. On well, at the Shepherd Summit, we talked about weeds, wolves, and warfare. As a pastor, you got to be able to distinguish all three of those. This is the warfare section what do you do when the drama of your church turns into trauma so sometimes there's just drama and it's a bunch of rhetoric first part of nehemiah chapter four you have a bunch of people insulting (laughs) literally insulting the wall builders who are on a mission for god doing the work of god and you have several people insulting them saying even if a fox jumps on it it'll break and that's just drama that's just a bunch of drama but not the, that there's ever drama yeah, in churches. That's right. That's right. We're going to do a, a future podcast, by the way, on how to distinguish drama from trauma. I've been working on that uh, even this week, just writing some notes out myself, because as a pastor, you don't need to jump into drama. Just let it go. But when it's trauma, now you got to get there and help. Trauma Trauma is something heavier and bigger is coming. And what happens in Nehemiah is the people that are insulting the building of the wall decide to not insult anymore, but to threaten and literally step back and try to kill the wall builders. That's a whole nother level. It's a a way bigger problem. Yeah, way way bigger problem. And it's time for Nehemiah to step in and help in leadership. He has a great leadership moment here in chapter four. Encourage all our pastors to to dive into this chapter and just see personally uh, kind of what's there. But Satan wants to defeat you from from accomplishing your mission at your church. He wants to defeat the mission of your church. And it's important as pastors that we learn from this passage how to not just repel the enemy, but or resist the enemy. First part of the chapter, you're resisting. Right. Because it's just drama. But now you got to repel the enemy. You got to push him back so you can keep your work going. And I think Nehemiah does a great job of just, just giving us eight really simple principles to repel the enemy, to push back against this this group that wants to stop the mission of God. Sure. 
So before we kind of get into that, how how would you say from your experience that um, pastors can resolve church conflict? And, and let's kind of use what you've got here to to apply to that. How, how can how can they actually do that? Pra- practically speaking, they're going to have to lean in and understand it. You got to figure out exactly what's happening. You have to know your sheep, know your flock. Um, if there are some people in your congregation that are drama driven, <laughs> um, they're sort of dramatic about everything. That's that's where you learn. This is a bunch of drama, not trauma. And in time, it will settle itself out. And people are going to go through some conflict, but that's healthy. But that's hard, right, for some pastors because the the wiring of of some pastors might be I f- I feel the need to step in there and solve that or help that or do something with it because it's you know causing a ruckus in the church or a riff or if it's drama, right? I mean, if it's stirring something up, so can it be hard for sometimes? But, yeah, but drama is just drama, right? It's right. It's not going to end. You know, it's not going to go well for anybody. Well, but it's not going to, not necessarily going to end in trauma, though. Mm-hmm. Trauma means somebody's cut and bleeding and hurt. Right. And we need to get more attention to this because mm-hmm. we're fixing to stop the mission of God, the work of God in several people's lives. Um, by drama, I'm talking about the lighter stuff that happens when, you know, so and so doesn't like how so and so handled something mm-hmm. in the kitchen, or I wish that person didn't get to sing a favorite because I like to sing that favorite better. Yep. Now we've got a little drama going on and we got to sit down with them and just, I'm not saying you don't solve it, but you, but it's just literally going, hey, let's all grow up and we're going to be okay. I'll ask you to sing it the next time we have that special. I'll ask mm-hmm. you to sing it. And you're going to have to be patient with we'll that. We'll all still get along. Yeah, let's all just get along. That's just that's just drama. Trauma is somebody's trying to stop the work now, and and or some of the drama has gotten to the level that it's going to stop the work because there's fixing to be a split, a conflict in your church where a family's going to peel away, yep. and we got to address that. Yeah, sometimes stop. drama can actually get increased to that. Exactly, level. we got to step into that. In, in the passage in Nehemiah, on top of all of that, because they're trying to build this incredibly complex wall, two and a half mile long wall of five and 10,000 pound stones at a time, not little bitty bricks. Um, Because they're trying to do all that, it actually starts by saying the people were very tired. Um, Their strength was failing. The the wall, the broken down wall was a giant mess. So they had a big mess. They had uh, physically exhausted. They they had uh, the mental ability that was going on, the dialogue they're having with each other. You read it in, in Nehemiah 4, they're dialoguing and saying, we just can't do this. We're This is too much. So there's the discouragement that comes. Church work has a lot of that. Oh, yeah. So the people begin to get this, this downward turn, and then the enemy now turns his threat up from, hey, we're not just going to insult you, but we're going to, it actually says, they continually began with physical threats. They, they didn't just insult them verbally. Now they're turning to physical threats. And so there's this this whole nother level that that the tension raises from drama to trauma. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah goes, I gotta step in. Yep. We gotta have a leadership moment here where we where we step in and you know Satan wants everybody to quit building the wall, quit building the work of God, quit doing the church work and just go back to being just a unhealthy little group of people that meet on Sunday and don't do anything. Yeah, and as as church leaders and pastors and and people who work in ministry, we can all identify with that at some level. Right. 
And Nehemiah has a really good workaround on this. He has a whole series of steps he takes that I think we can learn a lot from in how to address the spiritual warfare that attacks a church that tries to stop it from its mission. Sure, exactly. Yeah, and and you have a good note here about whenever you're physically tired, Satan will always try to give you reasons to quit. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, and I think, you know, you see that a lot in, in ministry. You see that a lot in, in pastors when they've physically reached the point of exhaustion, emotional, mental burnout. You know, yeah. we, we talk about burnout a lot. In, same in, same in with volunteer ministry. staff. The pastor needs yeah, yeah. to watch over his volunteer staff. Exactly. Yeah. The guys that volunteer have a ton of that. It's, it's a very easy place for the enemy to come in and just completely wipe you out. And some people never come back from burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, they, mm-hmm. they never return to the ministry yep. from burnout. So, and then that's a that's a that's a win for the enemy. So it is. Let's talk about this fighting back category and and these eight steps you're talking about. Okay, yeah, this is how you can lower the impact of that sure. trauma yep. and keep the conflict in your church minimalized and keep your people working towards the goal. That's the cool part about Nehemiah is in the midst of the conflict, he kept working towards the goal. They never quit working. It's repeated in here twice. They never quit working. Yeah, so pastors hear that. <laughs> they yeah, never they never quit. You don't quit. <laughs> you just you just address the problem while you're working. Yeah. You may need a vacation, but you don't quit. That's right. So number That's one, right. uh the the first part of the solution here in praying back, number one is they prayed. Yeah. And it's a theme all through Nehemiah. Those pastors I know have read it a bunch. Uh Nehemiah prays all the time. Um when he was first trying to address, when he first learned the wall was broken down, he prayed a prayer of repentance before the Lord and brokenness. When he stood before the king and the king asked him, what can I do for you? It actually says he stopped and prayed. Then he asked the king. So he actually made the king wait. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a, was a three second prayer or a 30 second prayer or a three minute prayer, but whatever it was, it was literally a put the king on pause, the king of Persia on pause, world ruler, yep. so I can talk to God about what I need to do. Because Nehemiah understands when you're working for God and a conflict comes or a question comes, you pray first. And I think as pastors, we tend to forget that, <clears throat> especially older pastors. We, we have our own thoughts and ideas. We're like, oh, here's what we need to do. <laughs> and Nehemiah goes, before we decide anything, let's go to prayer. Yeah, sometimes there's that natural mm-hmm. instinct just to jump right into it. Yeah, and and I I think probably most churches when they start sensing a conflict in the church or there's a there's an elevation, mm-hmm. everybody starts yep. having all these ideas yep. like they're going to solve it, and the pastor ought to go stop talking. Yep. <laughs> we're praying first, and we're all going to get on our knees in a conference room. We're all going to get on our knees in my office or our knees in the sanctuary, and we're going to pray first exactly. for what's coming toward That's us it. because this is trauma. This is not drama. This yeah. is yeah. trauma. And, and there's a spiritual aspect to conflict resolution within churches, and prayer is a part of that. It's, exactly. not, it's not just the, this, you know, man-made idea of let's just jump in and talk it out and solve it right away. So right, got to go to God first. Number mm-hmm. two, we put up guards. Yeah, in verse 9 of this Nehemiah 4, he, he literally puts physical guards around the, the wall now because there are physical enemies. Nehemiah is facing this physical enemy that's going to shoot arrows at his workers that are building the wall. So he's got to get some guys doing some guard work and protection. He's got to be be sure. Uh, he's actually later on going to say we set up a trump, a guy, a guy with a horn so that when we sound the horn, we all kind of run to help that guy. But but we have to build guards into our own ministry as pastors. Uh, it's one of the things I, I talked with several guys at our summit about, and we had a really some good um, roundtable discussions about was the we, we 
we need to build guards into our own ministry and set up guards. We we can guard our hearts and minds according to the Bible. Um, we do that by by meditating on the scriptures. Um, Philippians four says he will put us put he he will put a sentry a guard to, in front of our heart that protects us, uh, gives peace to our heart if we will just obey the scriptures around Philippians four. Um, he tells us how to guard our morality by running from immorality. We need to make sure our staff is protecting itself from immorality. There's accountability in your church staff, accountability in your leadership team, your volunteers, that they're protecting themselves yes. from morality it's issues. Huge in our culture today. Yeah. In a, in a culture that's eat up with immorality. For right. Sure. And, and the Bible says you flee immorality. You don't toy with it. You don't think about it. You flee from it. Yep. Um, you can guard your ministry, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 and following, you guard your ministry by disciplining your body. You have physical disciplines that, that protect the ministry so you're not disqualified. Um, Ephesians 6, we guard against the schemes of the devil by putting on the armor. You work with your staff. Make sure they're they're. All of this is just saying, and the, the pastors can look some verses up on this too, but all this is saying we need to build a series of guards into our ministry itself. Uh, we might come back and do a podcast with another pastor about all this and get some roundtable discussion going. But but the, the issue is you have to guard your flock. The Bible says we guard our flock, but we guard them by setting up guards. Nehemiah had to literally put physical guards in place to protect the work of God that was going on. We as pastors need to put guards in place and accountability in place and dialogue in place and our leadership teams to check on everybody and make sure everybody's doing okay. Make sure their morality is guarded. Make sure their heart is guarded. You, you know you know as well as I do, the last few months I've had, as our ministry is beginning to uh, grow and we've seen some, some healthy things happen in our church, there's also the challenges that come with that. Oh, yeah. And I've had to meet with some of the staff that were wounded. Um, hurt, and I've had to make sure their hearts are guarded from the things that happen in some of those conflicts. I think that's um, true. Anytime there's growth in absolutely in a church, yeah, there's always absolutely. challenges that come. Mm-hmm. All right, and then number three, we talk and listen to our spiritual leaders. This is this is a really really big one. Yeah, I love how Nehemiah calls everybody together in this passage and just speaks encouragement into their into them. Uh, he reminds them in the text um, the, the the keys of the the purpose they have and what they're doing. Uh, he, he literally, after the people had challenged and threatened and threatened and threatened, it says in verse 14, when I saw their fears, I rose up, I spoke to the nobles and the officials, and I said, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. In other words, he's saying, hey, our battle is, the Lord is on our side. And he rallied everybody to the spiritual leadership. And the spiritual leadership at that point is not whining and crying and complaining and going, oh, this is so hard. I don't want to do this anymore. He's literally stepping up and going, hey, don't be afraid. We're doing the work of God. And God's going to help us. We need to lean into this battle and keep at the mission and do it with the the great power of the Lord alongside of us, um, and and we we do that. We really accomplish that best as spiritual leaders when we stay fed well. The the pastor needs to be feeding himself well. 
surrounding himself with other men that feed him and having dialogue with men that feed him and nurture him and encourage him. Yeah, there's you, you can't have any isolation. Isolation mm-hmm. is not going to help anybody for sure. <laughs> uh, definitely not in the ministry. And then number four, uh, we remembered the Lord. This is uh, in, in verse 15. Yeah, and that's where, where he focuses on. He goes, we remembered how awesome the Lord is, how powerful the Lord is. So I, I think probably it's a good time when you're in conflict, when when the church mission or the there's something pushing back against you that's really hard and everybody's sort of feeling the weight of that. Like we said at the beginning of this passage, they're they're exhausted emotionally, physically, mentally, even spiritually. When that's when you're feeling the weight of that on your church staff, I think you remember the Lord by testimony. You say, Hey, somebody somebody give me a testimony of how the Lord's helped you in the past through some difficult times. Somebody reach back and and tell me how you're doing this. And and hopefully you have people with incredible uh, insight. And once people start testifying of how helpful and good God is, what happens? Well, everybody's spirits get lifted and there's this encouragement, right? There's this encouragement that's built. And uh, it's really good, I think, for a church or a church staff to keep a nice journal of that somehow. Um, jot down. I, I know when I, some some of y'all know um, Pastor Johnny Gaston, he's been on, on this podcast before. Um, Johnny's house uh, that his in-laws live on, live in right next door to him. It's the house that his mo- his wife was raised in, burned to the ground a few weeks ago, and I mean completely burned up. Four senior adults and his little, what two or three year old son was in that house when it caught on fire. He rushed there, rescued all of them out of there. By literally had to put one of the elderly ladies' hair out as he rushed her out of the house. Saved everybody and and was you know very grateful for the Lord's hand and all that, um, but but I know one of the things when I we, we went out and brought him some stuff and we're just ministering to him because he's a great guy and our church has ministered to him and some of the other ministries I have have been ministered to him and he reminded he said here's one of the things that by by you bringing these very specific gifts that we ask for um, to us in our time of need. He said, I'm going to go home and show my daughters. He said, we keep a journal, a prayer journal at our house of our prayer request. And every time one's answered specifically, we circle it in red. And he says, and after a few weeks, we can just open that journal up and look at red circles all over the journal. And he said, this is how we know God's hand is on us, even when we go through something as traumatic as this. And I thought, man, that's a great picture of this passage where where Nehemiah is saying, we remembered the Lord while we're under attack, while we're exhausted, while we're spiritually tired. And man, the day I met with Johnny, you know, I mean, he's, his head's just spinning. He's got four senior handicapped adults moving into his double wide trailer with him and his family. Right. Because they have nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. And all their clothes are gone. All their food's gone. They don't even have toothbrushes, right? The, The the seniors that are with him didn't have any of their medicines. It's all burned up. And he's having to get all that done in a day's time. So he's overwhelmed and yet he's going, hey, we're gonna we're gonna start you brought this to me and we needed this as an answer to our prayers. I'm gonna show my kids tonight. And I thought, man, this guy's he remembers the Lord, right? He's keeping a track of it. And then number six, we fought together for our family. Speaking of families. <laughs> yeah, and you don't wanna you don't wanna miss number five too, which is we, we just keep on working. This is gonna pop this is gonna pop back up twice. 
um, before we jump down to number six. He just says we keep on working. We're not going to stop working. While we're in the middle of this battle, I need you to work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Um, But don't give up. Just endure the trial by working. Count it all joy, James 1. Count it all joy when you fall into various temptations and trials. Literally, while you're working, keep on working. Get through the trial. Don't stop. And then he says, as you said, um, why are we doing? Why are we doing that for our families? There's a family purpose here. Uh, we, we have we have families that need us to see us endure this trial. I remind our pastors um, when you're going through a very hard time with your church family, um, that your children. And your children in your church need to see your church family get through that trial with joy, hope, and peace, not complaining, whining, and bitter. Um, they don't need to see a bunch of people get gripey at God or doubt God. They need to see us leaning into our faith, trusting God, and working through the trials of our life. And Nehemiah is crystal clear about this. He says, don't forget God. And remember that you're fighting for your friends, you're fighting for your family, you're fighting for everybody that lives in this city. It's literally the city of David, the city of God. You're fighting for all of that, and it's a fight worth fighting for. It's really what he's saying. It's a it's a fight worth fighting for, and you should remember that while you're in the battle. It helps you not give up when you when you see the purpose of that. And you know that there's children and children's children that can can be impacted by that. You're literally going to leave a legacy of a, a warrior. And then number seven, we continue to work and serve for the glory of God. It comes right, right back to the, we just kept on working, right? We just keep on working. Um, the greatest among you is a servant. Jesus is crystal clear about this. Serving is the greatest way to honor God. It's literally the nature of God to serve us. And so when we live in service of him and keep on serving through hard times, we're modeling uh, very much modeling what God wants us to do in our hearts. Charles Swindoll says, you're never more like God than when you serve. And he means selflessly serving others. So it's a beautiful way to think of it. Um, we just keep on serving the Lord. So there's enemies. So there's people yelling at us. So there's people shooting at us. So there's people attacking us. We just keep on serving. Keep on serving. Yeah, it's just part of your calling. It's part of your calling. It's, it's, it's a big deal, so... Yeah, and then number eight, we trust our God to fight for us. Yeah, I love how he finishes out this leadership moment. This is a really good leadership passage for you pastors whose churches may be going through some difficult times. You lean into this passage really hard, you'll find a lot of good stuff. And the best part is verse 20, where he just says, and don't forget, our God fights for us. We aren't the ones doing the battle. We're just there as representatives of God, but he's the one that battles for his own mission and his own purposes. Clearly, David and Goliath is a great example of that. Gideon against all the Midianites, great example of that. Really good example. Um, Jesus against the Pharisees, yeah. right? I mean, just it's a little bit. Yeah, it's just some great examples of, you know, the Apostle Paul, all the martyrs of the faith um, stood up and said, hey, our God's going to fight for us. And if we die, it's okay because the gospel goes forth. Nobody's been able to quench and stop the work of God, That's right. the ministry of the church. The gates of hell can't stand against the ministry of the church. 
And the gospel goes forth no matter what. So if the enemy pushes in hard, push back. And remember, we trust God to do the fight for us. Um, continuing in the work of God and serving faithfully is always one of the greatest battle strategies you can have. When you're in the middle of a great spiritual warfare challenge at your church and your personal life even, but especially in church conflict, you, you got to ser- keep serving and and applying yourself to do the work of God. This is what God called me to do. And even in my battle, I'm going to keep on doing that as a battle strategy. That's great. And as a pastor and a church leader, especially, um, then this is something I thought about from your notes here and from when you taught this, um, you know, to the pastors at the summit is, and it's something that I think some more, more pastors need to need to think about is call out for help when you're under attack. Yeah, not, not every pastor does that when they should or if they should. Yeah, and they some of them don't even recognize when they're under attack. It goes back to the burnout thing we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, we, if we, the enemy's we, attacking you, call out know, for help. There's three little subtle <laughs> sub points to this thing that I think are important. You have to care for people that are working alongside you. They care. They need to care. In this passage, they have to care for the people along the wall, which makes me be selfless. Exactly. It's not about me now. Exactly. My little section of the wall. I'm caring for everybody, and that's. Nehemiah did a great job of saying, hey, everybody take care of everybody here. Mm-hmm. If somebody blows the horn, we all go help him, yep. right? Then call out when you're under attack. That's one of the other parts of this. Uh, if you hear the trumpet, which means you called out because you're under attack, right? And then count on God doing the battles. Right. So really good, really good understanding of how to deal with trauma in a way in your church that pushes the enemy back and allows God to do his mission work with you. That's excellent. Really great passage out on EMI. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rescuing Churches. Hope you found all the content helpful as always. I'm Josh. That's Stan, silent partner Mike. Catch you guys next time. You've been listening to Rescuing Churches, a discussion for the local church and its leaders. This show is brought to you by 614 Ministries. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 614 Rebuild and visit us online at 614ministries.org. Also, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thanks for listening.